0: Welcome to the Basin Conspiracy. I'm Ian Ashprazky. I'm Stephen super Stephen, welcome back. Feels like it's been a while. Um, how are you doing? Good. It, has, it does feel like it's been a while, but it's only been a couple of
1: weeks. I don't know. But yeah, it's been a long couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, lot's happened. Yeah. Yeah, you were in L.A. for like most of the last two weeks. I was, and it was absolutely wonderful. And by L.A., I believe you mean San Francisco, because L.A. people will stab you for making that mistake.
1: Oh, right. Well, in my defense... Uh, <laughs> you know like how if you don't live well actually you live in the Denver area the whole time but you know how you tell people you live in Denver Mhm for me Los Angeles is all is like the entire southern half of California you're you're in oh. San Francisco the actual uh rationalist mecca Right And
0: when did you get back Uh I got back um yesterday Yes I got back yesterday about 26 hours ago
1: Oh nice then you missed the classically uh indecisive Colorado weather where it was raining and then sleeting like crazy for like two hours and then just rained again and now it's 40 and the streets are clear. So yeah, you missed, you missed all the crazy weather.
0: Yeah. Wait a minute. I decided to check because I didn't think San Francisco's in the southern half of California and it is not. It's right about the middle, I would say, if you were to divide up California into top, north, middle, and south.
1: Fair enough. If I divide it by population, I'm going to assume that like <laughs> everyone in California
0: lives in the bottom half, right? Well, that's where Los Angeles is. Um, yeah. I don't know what the populations of Los Angeles are compared to Silicon Valley area. Well, my geography sucks, so. <laughs> That's okay. Right. Mine did too before I started dating someone in San Francisco, so that makes a big difference. Right. Not Los Angeles. Not Los Angeles, no. Um, maybe I can get a girlfriend <laughs> in Los Angeles too.
1: <laughs> yeah, just you, you want to get in some of that awesome highway time over there, so. All
0: and right. it looks like definitely far more than two hours uh, by car. Uh, this is like a uh, a plane flight from San Francisco to Los Angeles. You'd be driving all day. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah.
1: righty, buddy. Well, we all got right. some
0: feedback to get us uh get our wheels greased here, right? We did. Yeah. Uh this was um on the Simulacra levels from last episode, which a lot of people really enjoyed. Um Oh, I have a quick interjection.
1: It was a recent episode of the 80,000 Hours podcast with um Nathan Nathan Lebenz. He's the guy who did all the uh red teaming and stuff for ChatGPT. Yeah. At the end of it, they were talking about, you know, what's good what's good sources to stay up to date on AI stuff, and they mentioned Zvi's blog. Hell yeah, I think uh, I forget the host's name, but I think he gave ZV, but I think it's one of the highest compliments one can get that if he learned that ZV was actually an LLM, he wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> is that a compliment with the amount of, of content he can put out that is is uh-huh. uh, thorough and, and reliable? Um, yeah, that he you know the idea that, this, that that this is one person producing all of this is uh, seems insane. It, it seems insane, so I thought that was a huge compliment. I'm sure he meant it
0: that way. Oh, I'm absolutely he's dedicated and just works like crazy
1: yeah he's great you know this is great is is stan leet i
0: stand yeah. leet? i don't know what, what have you got to say here i was trying to figure out like how to put level two in a good light and is stan leet has done this like how's a good way to think of level two as in, good as in you know morally not as in accurately he says if you calculate the best way to convince your interlocutor of a true point you are operating on simulacra level two Hmm. Uh, the best communicators pre-imagined the thing they want to communicate and choose what to say exploring that space that is entirely level 2 thinking
1: not a bad way of thinking about it I, I think I tried to touch on that in the episode but I, I know I'm never as coherent as I imagine myself to be there could be several reasons to believe whatever but if I'm going to give you you know we have a limited time I'm going to give you the best reasons I can think of that's mm-hmm. that's level 2 planning
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. he also had a example of level 3
1: that is Socially good. Well, Stan Lee here has a good example of. Uh, he says, "I don't," or they say, "Excuse me, I don't." I don't think I empathize with quote. All of us good people believe X. Uh, unquote. In the same way, I empathize with quote. It is good to believe that all men are created equal. Unquote.
0: That's a great example to me because I do believe things like it's basically good to believe certain things which are not literally true, but we act as if they are true because that is the best way to run a society. And one of those things is the belief that all men are created equal, which, again, literally untrue, but you act as if it is. And uh, the idea that saying all us good people believe this, it's not exactly what people say, but that's not much different from it is good to believe that, uh, X.
1: Yeah, I mean... To, to quibble with, you know, the, the interpretation of that particular sentence, I think that the created equal bit doesn't necessarily mean that like everyone's the same height and strength or intelligence or whatever. I think it's to mean that everyone has the same moral worth. But so the difference here is that all of us good people believe this is different than saying it's good to believe that insert thing. So I mean, the, the second one
0: seems more to more online with a level two statement actually. But it's it is very much saying that if you're a good person you believe that. That's true. You know, I think the four levels are, are
1: four overlapping Venn diagrams. Like yeah. Where, you know, th- this will be somewhere in the fuzzy area between two and three, because yeah, yeah. this this might be a good way to convince somebody and that could be your actual goal. Mm-hmm. But you're doing it by saying, hey, you know, all of us cool kids think this. I think your intention is part of what matters behind it as well. So someone someone yeah. I think would be, be justified in calling you out or rather questioning if you were to give the second statement there, because the first one, all of us good people believe X, I think that's definitely level three. The second phrasing, I think, is uh, someone could ask, hey, is that a level two or level three framing?
0: I don't know. To me, it feels like the second phrasing is just a a different way to say the same thing.
1: The difference, though, is that if I sub for X, I can actually be honest with the second statement and not the first. Like, uh, It is good to believe that animals have enough moral worth that you shouldn't eat meat. I can't say all of us good people believe that because I happen to eat meat, even though I'm being hypocritical.
0: Well, okay, sure. If you actually eat meat, you can't say that. But it is, I think, implicit in the statement that it is good to believe X that all the good people believe X. And if you want to be one of the good people, you also believe X.
1: You're right. I think I'm focusing on the word good or excuse me, the word us in the first one where Mm, it's it's explicitly othering you if you don't agree with it. Whereas right. in the second framing, I'm with you in the, we, you know, we suck camp because we eat meat. Um, <laughs> but that's that's not the important difference that I think is trying to be illustrated here. So uh, All right. next hot take from ArcTangent.
0: ArcTangent's hot take was that they, the said levels make more sense if you delete three entirely. Because uh, saying level one is, I believe there's a line behind you. I want you to believe that. Level 2 is, I believe that if you believe there's a lion behind you, you'll turn around and I can steal your food. And I want to steal your food. Or you'll live and I want you to live. (laughs) Oh, right, yeah. (laughs) And and level 4 is, I believe that if I make these specific mouth noises, this will somehow result in me getting your food. I know that this works empirically, but I don't know the exact mechanism. I want to steal your food.
1: It's hard to find a level 3 for that particular um, example. You wouldn't have time to say, you know, all of us cool elders who, you know, live in the, the temple on the mountain believe there's a mountain be- or a lion behind you. You know, so I, I like the Venn diagram thing. And I think that three and four would have a lot more overlap than one and two.
0: Yeah, the the final point was that three seems like it's kind of in between them, like with the Venn diagram thing, that if I say X, you'll behave as if I'm part of group Y, which feels like the mouth noises thing.
1: That's a nice way to put it. I don't know if V's in our Discord or not, but that, that single sentence there... I don't know if he put it that succinctly, and I think that's a great way of putting it, because that's, that's true of three and four. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's like an important differentiator.
0: Well, finally, uh, there's an example from Matt, because again, lots of trouble trying to get a handle on just what the heck four is, because it's so hard to imagine people are just like, I don't know how these mouth noises work, but when we do them, we get this result, right? <laughs> uh, Matt says, if you have ever watched children aged nine to 12 arguing about politics, you will see a lot of four because they don't really have object-level opinions and don't actually even understand what the properties of the teams are and thus can't rightly be said to be in-group relative to any team. They are just saying things to get their friends to think they are good and smart.
1: It was, um, I think, courteous of him to cap that at 9 to 12 and not 9 to 20. (laughs) I agree with everything there, other than I might bump up that
0: second number. (laughs) <laughs> and then finally, in a completely unrelated thread uh, on in a different channel, I got to see an actual literal example of level four happening between my eyes, which was fantastic. Uh, it is no surprise to me that this was something perpetrated upon us uh, by a communist. Uh, we, <laughs> there's a user in the Discord that we were talking about China and uh, them being an expansionist country. And someone gave the example that like, yes, obviously China's an expansionist country and gave us proof their expansions into Taiwan and Tibet and Hong Kong. The reply to that was our commie user saying, Tibet, you want the old feudal theocracy back? I pointed out that has nothing to do with whether or not China expanded into Tibet or not. Mm -hmm. And the user responded, Tibet was a feudal theocracy, not a fan of theocracy myself. I'm like, you're just making boo noises <laughs> at, the, at Tibet. You are not addressing anything. And uh, then the the final rejoinder there was like, I guess I value human dignity more than the lines on a map. <laughs> like, okay, all right, I I can't even. There there is no thought process going by uh, behind any of this. It's just literally boo Tibet to make the people think maybe it was okay China expanded into them and completely ignoring the question about whether or not the. That it's evidence that China's an expansionist country, by them moving into Tibet.
1: I mean, I, I don't want to say there's no thought behind it. I, th-
0: this is, you know, there, there is thought behind level four arguments. It felt like arguing with an LLM.
1: No, that's that's to- that's that's totally fair. But uh, I, I'll I'll also contend that LLMs are or you know think in some meaningful allegory to how we think. But that aside, yeah, it's perfectly like I said, level four argument. You know, well, you know, feudal, feudal theocracy. Those are those are bad noises uh well Mm -hmm. i I like i like human dignity you must not um Mm -hmm. you know it it's uh it's a great way of dodging the point all that aside i've never actually heard somebody argue in favor of uh the chinese conquest of tibet so that that's interesting i wonder if there are better arguments for it like i think there are good there are historical good arguments of positive outcomes from imperialism Uh, yeah one one of my favorites was you know that practice that lasted up until at least the mid 1900s of setting the widows, yeah, the widows of dead husbands on fire uh, mm-hmm. on their on their husband's funeral pyre, and the British Colonials saying, yeah, y- y'all can keep doing that, but we're gonna we've got a gallows right over here, and if you do, we're gonna we're gonna hang you. Um, yeah, which is you know a nice way of you know imposing modernity on people. Uh, when I say yeah. nice, I mean you know involve the threat of killing people, but if they're killing people, that's kind of sometimes what it takes. Uh, like so, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I can imagine good arguments in favor of things as bad as like imperialism, which is, you know, another bad, you know, level four argument style word. But I've never heard of someone arguing in favor of uh, the situation in Tibet. This doesn't quite count as an argument in favor of that necessarily. I don't think <laughs> it, I mean, would, it, it, it wouldn't pass. Be. It wouldn't pass the stiff test if I was like, OK, yeah, no, it would. It, it
0: is an argument. It's just not one yeah. that I find the least bit compelling. I kind of do like getting rid of the feudal theocracy actually a good thing in my opinion but that's not what we were talking about we were talking about whether or not china's expansionist that's true and you know it
1: depends on how bad the feudal theocracy was you know i, I don't know a mm. thing about again i i don't know where san francisco is i don't know anything about tibet you know um I, i've just seen the picture of the guy in front of the tank but uh, uh that that was china not not tibet well see there i have revealed myself to be an ignoramus and i will i will own that fact
0: okay all people standing in front of tanks look the same to you don't they steven
1: you know as racist as that sounds uh (laughs) you know if if you show me a zoomed out black and white picture of someone in front of a tank i'm gonna just assume it's it's tibet even though it's 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 not (laughs) awesome all right
0: all right so that was all the feedback
1: yeah and as far as uh arguments that are technically arguments but i don't find necessarily compelling that kind of leads us into the main episode but we have one or two we have one or two quick things to hit before we start that
0: yes all right so we are going to be talking about how consciousness arose in humans possibly one possible idea about it uh, and how those are related to snake cults <laughs> which i find just endlessly amazing uh that that someone proposed this and actually has some decent arguments for it this felt topical because in the self-indulgent episode we talked about consciousness a bit and it's been something that has come up in our less wrong um, meetups here in denver the last meeting or two specifically i remember being in an argument and we may have touched on this in the episode as well Where like i just don't understand what the possible alternative is to to the humans being conscious and this actually lays out uh, a few interesting ones uh, but to the point where Matt, when we were talking, was like, "You know, the whole this whole idea that you can't understand it sort of is slight basing evidence that you are a P zombie, and wouldn't that be interesting?" For
1: for the sake of historical, I, I, he said this, I think, on Discord, right? Uh, I think it was in person at the less Wrong meetup. Okay, because I know I also said the same thing at the less Wrong meetup. Oh, okay, maybe it was you then. But I I, I, I think someone else did at some point too. But I just, I at least, you know. I want to credit whore some of some of the credit for coming up with the, the with the jokes. So, if, oh, if not yeah. if not originally, it was at least independently. Okay, all right. So yeah, I that said, I I don't think that you're a P zombie. You start, I you know I don't I don't know what it would mean to encounter one. You know, like right. like a literal P zombie, I think is physically impossible. But I, I think I think you're as conscious as I am. You know, I, you, you've, you've expressed that. you've expressed uh you know feelings and desires that seem to relate to your level. Uh, you know, to your your psychological well-being you know yeah which implies that you have a psychology but of course all those are things
0: that a p zombie would say aren't they
1: yeah but i mean so other than you know some matrix level fuckery it's hard to imagine that there would be something akin to p zombieism in humans
0: right yeah yeah so before we start uh the two things that i wanted to touch on i guess before we started is uh remember i think a year and a half ago now we did an episode about lithium and how there was this uh awesome hypothesis about lithium leaching into the drinking water is behind the obesity epidemic
1: yes and i think we did touch on the subsequent follow-up post that someone wrote that argued that that wasn't as well researched as the attention it got deserved
0: yes i personally was very excited about it in the episode but uh within two months or so there was a pretty convincing rebuttal that was posted. And within several months of that, after quite a bit of ignoring from the original lithium poster, it seemed pretty decisive that no, it's actually definitely not lithium. And this post doesn't do that. I mean, it's excited about an idea. But specifically, uh, near the bottom, he says, look, this is just like a neat little idea I have. This is kind of a crazy hypothesis. I'm playing with it, but I don't think anyone should take it like as completely, literally true or anything. This is just like, wouldn't it be cool if, and huh, actually it might be kind of possible. And this is a thing we should look into, but it is not like literal true, not like a solid theory anyone is putting forth. So I wanted to, first of all, give the writer, who I believe is Andrew Andrew Cutler, uh, first give him mad props for, Specifically putting out, like, th- I'm not putting this forth as a truth proposition thing. More of a fun thing to look into sort of idea. And secondly, also put that up front at the top. That, like, we are not saying this is a true thing either. Just like, huh, this is interesting and plausible kind of thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was happy to read that at the end. Because I wasn't sure how seriously he was taking himself during the, the my reading of this. Yeah. And his level of, like, epistemic... Uh, humility or you know like at the some at the top of some less wrong post people put you know epistemic level whatever Mm -hmm. semi-serious uh yeah i I was happy to see that at the bottom of this it's interesting and thought-provoking but like the idea that like someone found this compelling enough to be like i now believe this kind of raised my uh my bullshit meter a bit uh but if but the the thesis is like wouldn't this be cool um yeah the blog is vectorsofmind.com and uh the post is the Snake Cult of Consciousness.
0: Yes, and I read actually quite a bit of his other stuff there, and uh, rescanned the the SSC review of Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind, which was a big influence on this as well. So i I, I read a, a few other things, which I'll also be pulling into.
1: Good. Yeah, I, I clicked a lot of the links that he put in the post just to verify. Like, you know, there was one where he talked about like cobras showing up, you know, somewhere that didn't have cobras on some art or whatever. And I mm-hmm. wanted to just double check that this wasn't just some ridiculous quote mining. And mm-hmm. the first time that, cause it was this giant, you know, for example, that one was a giant link to some enormous post and the word snake doesn't show up until midway through. And it was, I was like, Oh, if you're going to call that a Cobra, I'm calling total bullshit. But then the next four uses the word snake or yeah, I'll show up around uh like a thing that is much more plausibly Cobra ish. And is described by those authors as Cobra ish. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is I did click some of the stuff, but he links to a lot of stuff and a lot of it is as long as this post. So I didn't read as yes. much as you did. Yeah. I was just fascinated by all this and went down his rabbit hole. I know you would be. When I, when I, as soon as I realized what he was talking about here, I was like, oh, okay, I totally get my name. I just super into this. This is exciting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, the second thing is lots of times people talk about like having an inner voice that gives, that tells them stuff and I've even, like, a depressed person that I talked to, he said, I always have this inner voice inside me that says you're awful, you're terrible, you're shit, everything you do is going to never work out, why even bother trying? And, like, I always, always assumed this was a metaphor. That, like, there isn't a literal voice that is being heard, it is just, like, a feeling. And the way you can express that feeling when talking to someone else is saying, like, it's like I hear this voice that says these things. But, um... After reading some of this and also thinking about and anphasia? Aphasia?
1: I think it's called aphantasia, which I actually brought up in in the list wrong in my in my notes for the last Song posts.
0: Yeah. Um I, I begin to think, actually, maybe do more people hear literally hear a voice sometimes? Do you ever hear a literal inner voice?
1: I think that the answer is I think so. The thing is, I I recognize it as just a thought. Like I I have thoughts often I, I can have them without language and they're faster, but if I want to articulate them, they, they, their, their language. And those, those have, if not a voice, they have a, they speak. You know what I mean? Sometimes I might hear them in another's voices or I'll hear them in a voice that are like, you know, it'll be like written on a page, you know, it, to use an analogy. And while, mm-hmm. while, while I'm reading it and I, it's just text on a page in my brain, I, it, there's an asterisk asterisk next to it that says it's in this person's voice or something. You know, the, like, did Marcus really hear his son talking? You, no, not really, but yes,
0: kind of, right? Okay, yeah. So, like, I can hear a voice if I'm literally reading, like, something that someone said and I know what their voice sounds like. I will I will imagine their voice often. Um, or if I'm recalling, like, a song or movie lines or whatever, that's that's super easy. And I definitely think in words when I'm doing, like, introspective, some sort of, like, Cognitive work, uh, very often I'm thinking in words as I'm doing that, but like I don't think I have ever heard a literal actual voice. And now I wonder if that is unusual of me, because it sounds like some people do. I oh, in that in in that more literal sense, then
1: I certainly don't. I um I have hallucinated sounds before, but I I I can't Mm. imagine those people are talking about. I, I I think that they're using it in a semi-metaphorical way where the the voice that says whatever you suck you're a worthless person or something is like an intrusive thought that that comes into their stream of consciousness you know yeah a- against their will but there it is it might sound like somebody but I, I think if anything it sounds like them you know it sounds like the other voices and it sounds like the other voice in their head which is to say it doesn't doesn't have a tone or a pitch it's just the voice right i i realize this sounds uh somewhat hippie but we're going to be talking a lot about psychedelic drugs in this post so i think that's sort of on on brand for this but um i'd, I'd be curious to other people's responses to that because just like everybody i imagine you know most people are like me so mind projection fallacy but yeah. uh, I, I think that that it is we all have a stream of consciousness in our head or, or multiples running at the same time sometimes sometimes those take on words and so, sometimes those words aren't words you wanted to hear or words that are welcome or words that you would ever say to yourself
0: but there they are um that's that's my long-winded answer. I, I really want somebody to do more research about this kind of thing now and see if it is like the aphantasia where people who have it just thought that everyone who said "Yeah, I can see a triangle light bulb" was were speaking metaphorically when <laughs> when it turns out that we're speaking totally literally. I wonder um, how we test this, but uh,
1: let's put that on the back burner, or we'll let our our smart Discordians uh, come up with some ideas on how to test
0: whether or not you hear actual inner voices all right let's get into what at the heck we're actually going to be talking about now and why we're talking about hearing voices yeah do you want to kick off or should i i'll get the ball rolling here
1: the thrust of this this whole art of the whole post i'll kind of just like summarize it from the top then we'll dive into the bottom or dive dive into it in the meat of it but the point is is what he's trying to get at because it's it's kind of revealed piecemeal throughout the post um Mm -hmm. that
0: there, there was a time for most of human history where we were not self-aware, but we were still social beings capable of speech. And by speech, he means he means not like grammatical speech with sentences and everything, but more like you know Stephen Steele or like you know Barry Good or something like that.
1: Yeah, basically all lo- all level one speech. Um, yeah, it's it's trying to answer part of the paradox of or seeing paradox of why humans have been around in their current form for. 150ish thousand years but have been doing, you know, fuck all up until about 15,000 years ago. This is, you know, something of a genuine mystery. The post argues that the the discovery of of the self was the invention of introspection. But basically, we didn't come online as a species until we came up with the concept of I
0: and we were able to identify ourselves, our egos. Um mm-hmm. and so And once we could do that, we could like do I think he called it mental time travel, which means picturing yourself in the future, picturing yourself in the past, trying to relate others' emotions and having a theory of mind of what they think.
1: Right. Properly modeling other people isn't possible until you realize that you're a person and they're a person. The the fun, you know, secret ingredient of this whole post that he thinks that – not I shouldn't say the author thinks. Uh, he argues that one explanation for how this happened is uh, psychedelic rituals involving snake venom.
0: Yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll let you jump in from there. Okay, this is a thing that I don't know how much I would have bought it in the times before I had taken psychedelics. But what one, one of the first things... <laughs> yeah, I realized reading this, reading this too that I was like, I wonder if anyone who hasn't taken this will find this the least bit compelling. Right, even slightly. Yeah. Because one of the things he... Speaks on, I, I think a few times in this post, but really hammers home in a few other posts is that recursion is key to all of this. The idea to keep using the output as its own input and turn the lens in upon itself. That that's what leads to leads to identifying a self and becoming conscious and having this idea of yourself as a separate individual entity thing. And uh one of the things that psychedelics really do very well is supercharge the recursion parts of our brains i've know i've experienced this many times where i'm just looking at something like i don't know a, a piece of wood with like some moss on it and i just get deeper and deeper into the grain and all the individual little moss bits and it's just like it feels so impactful and interesting but if i start having a thought i'll recurse on that thought and go spiraling deeper into that thought it's a common thing with visual artifacts you look up in the clouds and all the edge of the cloud start going fractal and becoming more complex and tinier and more detailed and smaller. And none of it's happening in real life, but like the psychedelics really supercharge recursion to a huge degree. And he says that is the mechanism that tipped humans over into recognizing that there is a self there and that this has been proposed by other people as well. He, I forget who it is that he quotes, but the idea that, um, the psychedelic rituals were a huge part of ancient cultures and that a lot of older art depicts what could be possibly mushrooms. Andrew Cutler's proposition here is that, um, sure. Maybe I, that, that sounds entirely reasonable based on what psychedelics can do to the brain, but eh, like eating mushrooms, I, I don't know, like it might work, but you know, what's weird. Every single religion and ancient myth that I can find has a lot of snakes near the beginning creation myth and the snakes are always associated with wisdom like dude the the staff of the the thing that you see on all medical buildings <laughs> has snakes winding up the staff right why yeah. I, have you ever asked why
1: i i know i have at some point actually but it, it's been a
0: long time and i don't I, I must not have gotten a very memorable answer um it's it's bizarre and it doesn't make any sense because snakes freaking poison you. But it's because in pretty much every ancient society, snakes are seen as um, bearers of wisdom, imparters of truths and specifically like mysterious truths that are hidden that you're not meant to know. And he says, you know, there is a psychedelic in nature, which comes and finds you (laughs) that you don't have to seek out and accidentally put in your mouth. Uh, And that's snake venom. It's kind of a bitch. It's not going to be a good trip. A lot of people aren't going to survive it, but if you do survive it, you have the psychedelic experience. And then he goes on to say, Oh, and you know what else? These snakes are often associated with fruit trees, often with apples, although not always. In Genesis specifically, just as a fruit, he says there is a natural anti venom uh, called, what was it? Uh, rutin. Sorry. Yeah. Rutin is a crude anti venom, which is found in apples, uh, also figs and grapes. That was kind of a bombshell. Yeah yeah that uh if you were to create a ancient ritual if you were to survive the sort of snake bite and there's already sort of a folklore or your culture later develops a folk medicine of like if you get bitten by a snake oh my god load up on apples maybe you'll survive it it gives you a better chance if you're to going to create a sort of magical ritual which can help wake up other people and give them consciousness too you'd probably want to load them up with apple's or, or something similar first before they get like a little injection of snake venom to survive it better. And uh, wouldn't you know it, a lot of early religions also have a lot of um, apples associated with their snake myths. Obviously, one of the most famous in the world being the Adam and Eve story. Where a snake imparts the wisdom of the knowledge between good and evil. And the knowledge between good and evil specifically is important in here. The point of the consciousness isn't like just like we oh we get some venom we have this trip now we're suddenly conscious. It's that humans were social animals that were pre-conscious for many thousands of years, tens of thousands of years maybe, uh, and we internalized things like if you steal, you get whapped. Uh, stealing is bad. If you do these things, you, you get punished in some way. If you do these things, you get uh, rewarded in ways. And you keep like having negative af- affect with some things, positive affect with others. And you start to have in the bicameral brain, a kind of a model of what society wants you to do. And that can start to be kind of like feeling like you're hearing a voice telling you to do a thing. In Scott Alexander's review of The Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind, which was written by James, uh, I think about 50 years ago now, I'd have to go back and check the post, but it's very much an argument along the lines of um, humans used to be far less conscious than they are now and felt that they were hearing the voices of the gods all the time telling them to do things and quotes this particular um, part from the Iliad where Achilles gets really mad and wants to kill the king but decides not to and first writes it like in modern ways that is like achilles feels a surge of hatred for the the king but after wrestling with his emotions and thinking about the consequences decides that killing um, him would be a bad idea and suppresses that urge and then he says what it actually says in the iliad is that uh achilles has this gut rumbling it drives him and he feels hot and so he f- uh, pulls out his sword but he has this other feeling in his chest which is pushing against it and then when he is torn between what to do he sees a vision of Athena who comes forward and tells him you should not slay the king and he puts his sword away and doesn't and the Iliad apparently is just absolutely chock full of things like that where what we would consider thinking uh, is much more just like there's this terrible physical sensation in my body and I'm going to do a thing, but then a God tells me not to do a thing or a God says, yes, absolutely do that thing. And so James's proposition is that what, what was happening was that humans had these models of society that felt like voices in their heads, but they didn't know what was going on. They didn't have a theory of mind and they just... Uh, accepted them as voices of the gods. And at some point that broke down and we realized that was our own inner voice talking to ourselves and we became self-conscious as entities. And uh, Andrew Cutler actually has some disagreements with him. As an example, he says, that's kind of what I think happened just thousands of years earlier. And that uh, the thing that kicked people into realizing that those voices, the first people that realizing that those voices were not God's voices and were instead their own inner voices was having a psychedelic experience and hearing those voices and recursing on them and realizing that there are no gods it's it's me. I remember one time I was tripping on LSD and and
1: I had had the independent discovery that like hey you know recursing on thoughts seems to be happening a lot here and it's hard to have a thought that long uh mm-hmm. when you're, when you're that deep in it. <laughs> um, yes. Which reminds me I wanted to say this earlier at, at the top which is you know if if this all sounds like fun reasons to try psychedelics do keep in mind all of the the usual caveats check out you know arrowids uh guide on on good trips and do, mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. it with a sober person nearby because the thing is is like part part of what makes a trip ba- what, what can make a trip bad is like just like you know in your ordinary conscious life you're not in charge of what thoughts come to you and if they're bad you just sit there and spiral on them for hours or you can't yeah. rather you know the thing is, is if you have a sober companion with you who's aware of, you know they'll check in hey how you doing and we're like I'm struggling, they can be like, all right, let's, let's go to a different room and change the music and boom, suddenly you're, you're fine. Things like that can happen. So trip with, trip with a uh, caution and Ed with uh, a guru. All that said, I, I, the, the bit with Achilles and stuff, you know, so as, as Cutler points out, the timeline doesn't line up there, you know, like mm-hmm. if people are supposed to relate to him having heard the gods as like how they used to hear the gods when they first read this book or heard the story of the Iliad or whatever, that's not the level that they were operating at, operating at, at the time. You know, yeah. that, that's all metaphorical to them. It, it was as metaphorical to them as it is to us. Um, mm. And, you know, often, you, you know, writing and experience now is is characterized in terms of like feelings or um, physical states, you know, this, this feeling in the pit of my stomach, you know, broken heart, those sorts of things, right? Yeah. Um, all all of this language still, still exists because this is still how people feel and and operate. I'm trying to figure out just what which, which which parts of the things you just said for me to latch on to. But I guess at the top, like, he, he mentions that Noam Chomsky argues that language is the result of a single mutation. And I don't know if uh, if Cutler agrees with this or not, but he goes on to say that humans could not fathom recursion until a child was born with the instinct from whom we all descend.
0: I think that he, that Cutler, would argue against that.
1: Okay, because,
0: yeah, let me rephrase. I,
1: I get it. I just don't buy it for a second. yeah. What well, like one person has some X-Men style mutation that gives them this new brain power? I could actually see how that might, you know, give them a, a, a huge competitive advantage because suddenly they can model everyone and no one else can. Mm-hmm. But it still would take a long time for that gene to hit hit fixation. And I would expect to see more people, you know, with the occasional mutation that can't talk or whatever, or can't think in recursion, just because mm-hmm. if it's a, if, it, if it was a single gene, you know, mm-hmm. you'd get mutations in it once in a
0: while, you know. I, I think that cutler would agree with chomsky in some ways in that a lot of this is a genetic ability that evolved in humans over time as we were became more and more social and more dependent on each other for our survival and he specifically calls out things like our handicapped gut our retarded gut (laughs) the way it's too short to process foods if you don't use fire our weak jaws um he he points out to a a lot of things was like look humans cannot live without other humans and so obviously genes would select for humans that are better at that and that includes things like some rudimentary language use um so i I don't think he would agree that it's just like one thing where humans were pre-verbal and then a child is born and for some reason that child can talk he does strongly agree that language is what we use to recurse uh it is how we think on the second level the higher order level but that that language already existed in a very crude form And just once we were able to start using that language, he specifically says that uh, grammar could not have existed until after the awakening of consciousness, because grammar requires the ability to think in recursion and in taking yourself as an entity.
1: Yeah. And I guess I should emphasize you're right about him not agreeing with Chomsky because he he puts in in bold. In this post, I propose that the concept of self was discovered and diffused memetically via psychological psychedelic ritual. This led to a fundamental change in human psychology. Yeah. He says, with that, we could discard the genetic constraint and fit the date of cognitive modernity to whatever the data suggests. Yeah. This is a question I have for the end, you know, just to kind of raise it throughout. It's not clear to me why my great, great, great ancestors needed to, to get bit by a snake or, or eat a mushroom to develop recursive thought, but I didn't. I think he touches on that in this post, although maybe it was the Eve Theory of Consciousness post. I think it. I think it's mainly the Eve one, but I think, I think he touches on it, just not the least bit. Thoroughly or or compellingly in this post anyway. At least in my reading, you know.
0: He he says it's basically a continuation of natural selection that at first only a few people, even if they do get bit by the snake, have the ability to develop this consciousness. But as it proves to be very valuable for continuing your tribe and having more descendants, uh, more and more people are born with the ability to be affected by the venom and to develop consciousness. And over time, they like can do it with, even less venom they just kind of have a natural propensity to fall into that quite easily and given even more time you can start having people who don't need the venom at all like the genes are just powerful enough that if you teach somebody about a theory of mind it comes to them naturally without needing the psychedelic to kick them over so you need the psychedelic originally to kickstart it, to trip it into existence. Um, but once it's there, the extra advantage that it confers uh, gives people who have those genes a much greater fitness advantage and those genes become stronger and develop us to where we are today.
1: I I follow what you're saying. I guess it's just still not clear to me how something that would typically take external stimulation would become ingrained genetically with, and then not require further prompting in the same way that people in the Western world can tolerate lactose up until their adulthood in most cases. Like, is it like that?
0: Is that, is that? I believe that would be a, a good analogy.
1: Okay. Fair enough. I, I'm playing the skeptic here. And I think it was because I was reading the, I was, I think I was in a bit of a crudgeoning mood that the, the day I read most of the post. Um, mm-hmm. and then I realized that I shouldn't correct for that because this is a thesis that I should, should be right with strong skepticism. So I just kind of leaned into my, uh, cantankerous disposition there, but mm-hmm He, when he's talking about, uh, mushrooms, he says, these theories always struck me as strained. I can believe that medieval artists had done mushrooms. I can believe that entire communities of psychedelic Christians were initiated by ecstatic sacrament. But then, yeah, for reasons like he pointed out, he, he doesn't buy that to explain everything. But I wanted just to mention, if you hadn't heard of it yet, and it's, it's related to this, if you find this, this post interesting, uh, Brian, I think a murder, murder, I don't know, murder um, I don't know how to say his last name. Um, wrote a book called uh, "The Immortality Key," where he talks about the mystery of Ulysses. Uh, that was a a Greek religious rite uh, that was done. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't have the ballpark time around. Let's say two thousand years ago, ballpark, right? Okay. And it would involve taking people up on this, you know, arduous hike to go basically trip trip balls in some temple then they'd come down changed people and and talking about all this new wisdom and stuff they had and it was it was one of those kind of like you know imagine the uh just the secret cult all right you're ready they come they come take you and you're ready to go see this this rite of passage that only some the, the secret elites are allowed to see behind the eyes of god or whatever right it was a wonderful conversation i'm bringing it up because he was on sam harris's podcast uh recently talking about this book and it was it was really interesting Sam had had an insight in it that I wanted just to point out because this would relate to to the snake thing, which is that to to primitive people unaware of chemistry and drugs, they would think that what's happening is just reality, you know, the same the same way that them seeing the clouds on the walk with the mountain was reality, right? Mm-hmm. That it's not this mutated reality behind a psychedelic. They they would think I oh, just right. I've just experienced something real. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say the psychedelic experiences aren't real. You, you get what I'm. The word real yeah. there is is. It's kind of like you know hearing voices, um, but yeah. you, you know the experiences you have on, on trips are real. But the they're in the context of I've done a drug, and everything should be taken with with a grain of salt. The idea that if you gave LSD to somebody who had no idea what drugs were, and they just had a crazy day, you know, especially if you if you compounded it with again some crazy hike and a bunch of dehydration and stuff, they would think that I just talked with God for a day, right? Mm-hmm. And and they would have no differentiate way to way to differentiate that from their other experiences, so it, it's an interesting lens just to look back on like you know now since the invention say of LSD we knew what you know that it was a drug we were taking but the, the wayward early Homo erectus who found you know psilocybin mushrooms they had no idea what was happening to them right right they they just had a crazy day you know stomach ache and uh, and <laughs> talked to God for five hours <laughs> so right um. They, they saw they, reality opening up. Right. They wouldn't have seen their experience necessarily as, as an altered state of consciousness brought on by something unusual happening to their brain. They would think that this mushroom let me see behind the lens of this fake reality that I'm usually seeing or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I brought that up just as uh, an important anchor for the kinds of experiences that they would be having. And, again, to recommend that podcast episode with, uh, on Sam Harris's podcast. Oh, The Best Kept secret in History,
0: episode 346. I remember hearing that episode as well, and it was awesome.
1: Yeah, I guess it came out a couple months ago. I just didn't get around to hearing it until, I guess, last week or the week before, maybe.
0: He has a thing that he hammers repeatedly and has one post, top-level post, that is literally just about this uh, specifically. Really important uh, in all this is the idea that the voices in your head were the social norms of the group around you that were trying to keep you doing what society wants because it's good for you personally to get less punishments and more rewards he says it can be summed up as the tendency to follow the golden rule do you treat others as you would like to be treated this he calls it the primary factor of personality this pfp is a description of what creatures dependent on a complex society are encouraged to become the idea specifically is that once you develop consciousness and you realize the inner voice is you and you can start recursing and thinking less as an instinctive reactive flow being and more as a agent uh, an entity that exists and can make decisions and can model the future you have now the ability to distinguish right from wrong that it's not just vibes based If I do this kind of thing, I get bad feelings because of all the negative reinforcements I've had, so I'm not going to do it. And if I want to do this thing, uh, I get good feelings about doing it because of all the positive reinforcement I've had. You literally have the ability to be like, oh, this is a bad thing. This is a good thing. And thus the idea that I have been granted the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Thus, the idea that snakes bring wisdom and specifically veiled wisdom, a hidden knowledge, a, a secret truth that makes you like the gods because before the gods would tell you do this or don't do this. And now you know what they knew. That was literally Eve's sin, right? She made herself as God was knowing good from evil. uh, He said like, look, it's just, it's right there. It's in the myths that have survived. And it can't have been that long ago because they wouldn't have survived for all that long. It must be no more than several thousand years before the first writing implements Broke down our oral traditions before too much was lost.
1: I knew that the, uh, the whole Eve thing, I mean, so a, it does kind of come, come down like a fun bombshell, but also I just knew that it would totally stoke your, your enthusiasm <laughs> for religious stuff. Yes. Um, not, not, uh, that's not a dig that that's, that's, that's just me in, you know, no, yeah. It's, uh, it's such a cool way to frame it. It makes me think of, you know, our conversation about the Truman show and you're, you're framing it through like the fall of, you know, the fall from grace. And Mm -hmm. this is another way to see that, that like you imagine all people kind of being like children, you know, Mm -hmm. that there's a reason why we don't put children in prison, you know, especially young children. You know, if if, if a small child burns a house down, it's not because they, you know, they're psychopaths who wanted to kill everyone on the inside of it or we're trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, do insurance fraud. They they were doing it because they're playing with matches and fire is cool. And there was no thought beyond that. And Mm -hmm. so you're not a moral agent until you're at a level of sapience that lets you reflect on yourself and others around you once, once you've done that, you're no longer in the garden, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's a, it's really a fun twist on that. I don't know. Metaphor parable story legend. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it was, it was cool seeing that again, kind of like an anvil drop in the, uh, in this post. He, he mentioned he's going to write a whole follow up post on it. Then he, he, parenthetically delivered it but i didn't read that yet so i plan to is that the e view of consciousness or something i believe so nice yeah i gotta check that out
0: yeah i'll get a little bit into that too in a, in a little bit awesome he he brings up what, what's it called gobekli tepe i don't know if that's the right pronunciation i'm sure it's not but we'll roll with it okay I mean, it it's is, gotta be close because that's how it looks i don't know who cares it is the oldest religious building ever discovered can i set
1: this up actually Please do. He, he says he's talking about all the snake business and the origins of of old myths. And he, he he's like, well, if that was true, then that would mean that the first religions would be ones of snakes, and it would immediately precede the invention of agriculture. Surely that's not the case. And yet mm-hmm. we have exactly mm-hmm. this in Golbeki Tepe, Tepe, the first temple built about twelve thousand years ago. And so, so I I just loved that kind of like, well, you know, if all this
0: is true, you know, we'd expect to see this. Oh, and look. <laughs> We mm-hmm. do, <laughs> yes. Yeah, he brings up this Stone Age temple where it's theorized that people came and congregated there once a year and had religious rituals. And it is, I mean, it's carved with a lot of animals, but snakes outnumber any other animal by two to one. Uh, if Assuming that you count groupings of snakes as just one number, uh, if you count each snake individually in a group as an individual animal, it, they outnumber them greatly. And it seems to be very much um, a skulls and snakes based uh, worship religion. I think I remember reading about this when it first was uh, discovered because it was kind of a big deal. Like there weren't religions that dated back that far, or at least no artifacts of them that we had any organized religions. And uh, it was always thought that first humans had agriculture, and kind of domesticated themselves, settled down into one area where they could farm the land, and then religion grew out from there. And this kind of turned that around completely, because this was discovered before agriculture had been invented by humans, or discovered by humans, depending on how you think of it. And people are like, how, how did religion come first? His um, proposition is just like, obviously it came first because the snakes tripped people into original consciousness, like probably 20,000 years ago ish. He's like a rough number. And over time, people discovered how to um, harness that. So it wasn't just an accident. One person got bit by a snake. And so you have one conscious person for a while until, you know, they lose it or or they die. And uh, then you got to wait for someone else to get bitten by a snake. Eventually someone manages to develop a ritual based on eating apples and injecting someone with a bit of snake venom. And it becomes a literal snake cult uh, and spreads because now people have this, this algorithm for how to... Uh, create consciousness. It diffuses throughout all of humanity. And by the year 12,000, well, by about 12,000 years ago, it is widespread enough that there's now actual temples people are building to this snake cult. And at this point, now that we have consciousness on enough of a scale that a lot of people can actually think about the future and plan things, uh, they start agriculture soon after.
1: It's an interesting argument. You know, it, it's one of those things that, like, Again, it's really fun to think about and mm-hmm. I, I guess I'll I'll try to quit caveating with this, but I'll still point out like the things that didn't didn't resonate with me. But I don't find this argument compelling. I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. With that said, this that was it's so fascinating to think about that, right?
0: Yeah. I have a huge Christian religion fetish, and this is just absolutely feeding it.
1: Well, so so putting it in that frame actually is nice. I mean, so was Eve's sin eating the apple or was it convincing Adam to try it? Like <sighs> You know, being being duped when you're just a mere child is, I, th- I think, is is blameless. You know, yeah. I, I'm sure that somehow religious scholars of of whatever Christianity will will know more about this and disagree with me. But the running with with my version of it, like if i if I get bit by a snake and or whatever, in this analogy, eat an apple, and, and suddenly I'm a sapient person, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, the, I'm the only conscious person in the room full of unselfaware children. Mm-hmm. Am I doing something good or bad by making them self aware themselves?
0: It's an interesting question, in part because I couldn't find the post when I was reading through this earlier today, refreshing my memory. So I don't even remember if it was Cutler that posted it or if it was somewhere else. But I've read a number of posts about uh, flow states. And you know what a flow state is? Like we've all experienced it sometimes, where you're just perfectly in the zone and everything seems to be going like barely without even your conscious involvement. You're just you're hitting all the notes on the guitar or you're absolutely sinking every basket you're working together as a team everyone's doing exactly their role and it feels so good right i would add to that that it doesn't necessarily have to be that things are going well it's just that you're in a zone
1: of of not reflecting on what you're doing just doing it you know you could be consistently failing to play the guitar but you're not it's it's a lot like you know being lost in the state of having taken drugs where there are are, especially during most of the time that you're you know tripping you're you're not aware that you're a person you know with a name that had a (laughs) past who took a drug this morning Mm. Similarly, when you're in a flow state, none of that's occurring to you either. You're you're, you're there. It's just the raw experience.
0: Yeah. I love your description of you're not thinking about anything. You're just doing. It's often a very sublime experience. And uh, one article I read about this specifically talked about a group of young boys who early, just recently um, met with humans, hunter-gatherer tribe. Uh, They were out hunting and like how they fell into the four of them fell into this sort of like almost hive mindish flow state where they were working together and one of them drew the arrow and the other one just like pushed his hand just slightly just adjusted his aim just cause like it felt right. So he just like pushed it slightly and the other guy just accepted it and let the arrow fly. And like they hit their, their prey. And like, everything was amazing. And, uh, what he says specifically about this is that before you were conscious, all humans were perpetually in a flow state and all animals are as well. Because there is no thinking, there's no planning for the future, there's no concern about yourself, there's no knowledge that you're going to die someday. You're just executing on instincts and taking in sensory data and moving and responding to it, and it's, it's kind of a great, pleasant way to exist. And when you become conscious, that is taken away from you. And sometimes you can fall back into it for some periods of time, but you are now out of that garden, that way of being, that Elysium, that Eden, and you're, you're cast into a harsh, cruel world where you're tormented by your own thoughts and... The gods that would talk to you have left you like i mean that's literally (laughs) when you get cast out of the garden of eden not only was it a great place and now you're in a shit place but you have been separated from god and god does not talk to you anymore except just every now and then he'll drop some cryptic hints or send you know a scary angel messenger
1: or set your fire or your family on fire to teach (laughs) satan a lesson about right um
0: yeah so it's so it's again it feels like it just dovetails perfectly with my my christian fetish where oh my god this is gaining consciousness is a perfect metaphor for the the adam and eve eden story
1: the only thing i want to add and then we'll we'll actually try maybe to give our own answers to whether or not it's good or bad to raise somebody to consciousness is that i, I kind of imagine the plane of existence in you know young childhood slash the garden of eden as like just kind of this flat terrain right but mm-hmm. when you introduce higher levels of thinking you introduce peaks and valleys Mm-hmm. There are there are states of well being that you can reach. I think only when you're conscious and self reflective. You know, I don't think you can have yeah. true love as a five year old. Um, oh, like that's a good point. You know, so like you, there are there are states of there are ingredients to the good life that I think none of us want to live without that aren't possible without having the same capacity for the kinds of miseries that come with being conscious. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so yeah, you're aware that you know you, you've got a bunch of tasks that whatever you need to do and burdens of responsibility and, and the imminent threat of death. But at the same time, you have the, the capacity for relationships and, you know, a, a, an indulgent self-awareness that you get to, you can't have philosophy with, with, without consciousness. Right. Yeah. And, and in a way that, that is, that can be intrinsically super satisfying, even if you're totally alone. Um, yeah. You can't have poetry. You can barely have art. Exactly. So I, I wonder I guess th- this this comes to mind because part, one of my contentions with this too is that it's not clear to me how human, how the human brain would be primed for consciousness such that it could be triggered by a psychedelic trip, but that wouldn't like, why isn't that the case for some of our closest relatives? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, maybe if we had closer relatives, that would be the case. It'd be insane if some of our, uh, you know, Neanderthal cousins didn't die out and there were tribes of, ne- you know, pure Neanderthals running around mm-hmm. and... They exhibited all the signs of kind of just being smart monkeys until you gave them mushrooms or something. Yeah. Uh, that 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 would be quite the world to live in. Uh, that yeah. said, I'm sure somebody's given LSD to chimps and those chimps didn't start writing poetry or asking to be let out of the box, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So it's not clear how we had the architecture for this awakening built in, uh, Where where that would have come from,
0: you know? I mean, I think it came from evolving as the most social species to ever have existed and being re- very reliant on on our our troop of fellow monkeys and i mean i know actual monkeys are also reliant on that but i think we have or we did significantly diverge in that we became even more social and more reliant on those things i mean it's obviously it's got to be partially genetic uh this was brought up in one of his other posts i think that there is a spectrum for humans too and he quoted someone who says they don't have an inner voice uh, and their difficulties uh, existing with the world one of the things uh, they said is sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. People often know what I'm thinking because I will say exactly what I'm thinking. And he, he goes on and, you know, describes the person basically says it's what you'd expect. The person who has less ability for this, less of the genes that are needed for consciousness, they have less rumination, but also very limited social graces. The little niceties that require deception, the, the white lies, just aren't there because like they literally can't do them kind of like with small children kind of like with small children and also kind of like with people on the autism spectrum
1: yeah like i i distinctly remember periods where i was old enough to have thoughts about other minds but still not being really self-aware oh shit like basically most of my teens I mean, I, I guess it's hard to say that I wasn't self-aware because that, that was when I, you know, got into philosophy, you know, I was like 14 or 15. But, you know, at some point, maybe it was my, maybe, whatever, tween years where like, you know, I would I'd pretend to like the music that my, my peers liked, even though I actually didn't like it. And I knew that I was doing that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have like the level above that of understanding why I was doing that. It was it was just the one level. Uh, there was no recursion involved. So I, I remember being able to think without recursion. So even, even for me, I vaguely recall my own spectrum of consciousness yeah, and it's, it's interesting to think about, but I didn't mean to interrupt. You were saying about uh, small children and uh, yeah, I mean, I think certainly, you know, spectrum disorders would fit uh, Or spectrum.
0: Do they call them disorders anymore? I'm not online. Um, I have no idea. You know, spectrum diagnoses. Well, I mean, I don't like the term spectrum by itself because almost everything's a spectrum. Yeah. So autism like, spectrum, dis- we should uh, say literally. Yeah, yeah. The autism spectrum.
1: Yeah. And whether it's disordered or not, it, it's, it's a state of it's a condition of existing that seems to line up with, with with what that person's talking about,
0: yeah, I mean the people with extreme autism disorders that where they're not functional um I think they have a lot of sensory issues which make everything worse, but isn't it kind of the case that people on the autism spectrum have a harder time doing theory of mind and the whole social skills don't come as naturally to them, and things that require deception are harder
1: I'm not a scholar of what in the field would be called abnormal psychology. Um, That said, I know at least one or two autistic people who suffer greatly about the thoughts they have about other people's thoughts about them. Okay, And so, you know, like the idea of, Oh, I, I bet these, I bet my friends don't really like me, you know, and they're just pretending. So like they have theory of mind and, you know, are, are able to articulate things like that, you know, still have some of the same sensory overload issues that, People who have it who have enough autism that it is undeniably some sort of disorder, you know, so that so they're pretty far along it, but they definitely don't lose their capacity for for other minds. I mean, maybe maybe they never refined the ability to, I don't know, do it without the invasive self thought or like the like the self invasive thoughts or something. What am I saying?
0: The intrusive thoughts. I, I mean, I I would never say that people on the autism spectrum aren't conscious. <laughs> that don't have personhood. Everyone, grab uh, that soundbite. but uh they might have less of the genes that are required for consciousness so that it's a little harder for them and maybe something like psychedelics could help them for a period of time i i know of some people who microdose and say it helps them navigating the world
1: i'm glad you know those people uh before i interact on it do you know if those the person or people you're thinking of do they listen to this show
0: at least one does.
1: Okay, well then, I don't want to burst their bubble. Let me let me phrase it this way: I have tried macro dosing and I've noticed nothing. Okay, um, you know all, all the fun promises of it. I might as well been placebo'd. Um, okay, which was a drag. But maybe I was, you know, maybe I was, maybe I needed to bump it up to slight macro dosing or something.
0: Or maybe that you just weren't deficient enough for that to
1: to be a needed thing for you. Maybe people talk about it like it can boost anybody, you know, because like one of the things when I first took LSD, I took enough. To have all the visuals and kind of lose my mind, but not enough to, uh, to to totally lose the capacity of remembering that I was a person. quick personal sidebar. I when I wake up in the morning, I am fully awake immediately. like mm-hmm. the scenes in the movies are people like you know they get a phone call in the middle of the night and they like grab the phone they're like what what who's there? what's this? I, I never have that oh. like unless I'm you know super unless I went to bed you know under the influence of something. I, I wake huh. up the second I'm the least bit awake. I'm
0: fully like I'm I'm fully online. Wow, yeah, it it, it kind of sucks. Oh, why does it kind of suck? Because like that sounds amazing. I I sometimes get that, but usually it's a process.
1: Because every time I toss and turn, I'm fully awake, uh, which I must oh. do a dozen times a night. And oh shit! And uh, maybe maybe the reason it sucks is because the, there are a couple times a year, maybe you know on average two or three times a year, maybe where I, I sleep soundly through the night and I mm-hmm. wake up and for a few seconds. It's not like I can't remember who I am. It's that I don't remember who I am because I'm not thinking about it. So a few times a year, I will come online slowly. And I I mentioned that because that's what it was like the first time. And every time I take LS or any time I take a psychedelic, but the first time I took it, it was just like that feeling of waking up slowly, but it just kept happening. That was, that was a remarkable sensation.
0: Um, Yeah. Going back to the autism, one of the... Ways that autism has been described by i don't know if they're neurologists specifically or just people who what do you call people who look into brains using fmRI machines yeah,
1: neuroscientists
0: okay uh that it's it's often described as like a hyper male type of brain because like th- there's some distinct structural differences between male and female brains, and when you look at autistic people like the autistic females have more maleish brains than you would expect, and the autistic males have like hyper male brains often, and so autism is. Kind of like on that spectrum, one of the things that he says about the um, snake cult theory and and the distribution of genes in humans, where it required you know uh, psychedelics before, but requires less now because we've had more and more of the genes brought into us, and there's still a variance among the population, which is why we have some autistics and and other levels of consciousness. He postulates uh, that the focus on women being the bearers of this knowledge of pandora opening the box of eve being the one to talk to the snake and bring the knowledge in is because it is literally easier for the female brain to have this uh consciousness level and to be tripped into it through a psychedelic journey and that probably the females of the species had consciousness several thousand years before the men did and it spread into the men more slowly and if the autism is more of a hyper male thing, then that kind of dovetails in with this.
1: That is remarkable to think about, and you know, like a lot of you know, like the Oracle, uh, what Delphi or whatever, you know, all mm-hmm. the all the all the fun mountaintop oracles of of the ancient times were all women. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of the uh, the coven's, I guess, of witches or of uh, of prophets. Um, yeah, I am trying to think of you know, maybe the. Uh, um, I'm trying sure to remember the 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 Norse ones, but it's not coming to me. Uh, yeah, all women, uh, which which is interesting to think about. It sure would be weird to live in a society, like to to live as a sapient woman in the time where like your procreative partners were as smart as you know had the reflectiveness of five year olds. I know. It, it that- was just like this thing. All right, that's a weird thing I got to do. You know, let's let's. Maybe, I'll, you know, I'll enjoy I'm, the parts of it that I can. But like what a weird state of
0: affairs that like half the people I interact with aren't really people. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't even know if you could think of it that way. You would just have to think we're like, we're almost like two different peoples. And I mean, probably not even all the women would have been able to reach consciousness in the earliest years. And so you're just like, I guess I'm the shaman. I'm the one who has been chosen by the gods to have this knowledge and to try to lead my tribe. And no one else is quite like me. Like it had to be. To fucking weird existence
1: again if if this version of, of if this events is, is yeah yeah Re- but running are
0: hypothetical it, it's it's wild to think about the other thing about that was that um and i've gotten this specifically from various scott, scott alexander posts where he uh contrasts autism with schizophrenia and says that they seem to be almost like two different things on opposite ends of the same spectrum actually, Andrew Cutler does not talk about autism at all. Uh, This is entirely me bringing this in. But he does talk about schizophrenia quite a bit because you know hearing voices is (laughs) one of the hallmark uh, signs of, of being schizophrenic. This supports, again, the different distribution of these genes for consciousness in the human population and how sometimes you get people that get very few of them and sometimes you get people who get way too many of them and those people are far more likely to end up with schizophrenia and to be hearing voices. And he says that this isn't a coincidence uh, that this is all just the same evolutionary path that reciprocal altruism in early humans, the things that gave us society, and that gave us the feeling that uh, we should listen to the gods when they tell us to do things, it was it that sort of thing that let humans be more successful. It selected for pseudo schizophrenic minds that were susceptible to these pro social auditory hallucinations, and then later we had a breakdown of the bicameral mind, which resulted in our modern inner speech. Uh, and some people still get too many of those and just go full all out into auditory hallucinations. And this is all part of the same developmental pathway in the human species about ten to twenty thousand years ago. It's pretty crazy using psychedelic drugs. It,
1: this isn't a functional you're not in a functional state um mm-hmm. you know so like when i described it as like waking continuing to wake up like one does in the morning to the point where in fact you were there and we went down the street to chipotle and i remember sitting there in the passenger seat thinking that if i was if i was sitting behind the wheel there would be the epitome of irresponsibility because the lanes are moving like mario kart you know and <laughs> it was there would there, there'd be no safe way for me to do anything if you kind of just imagine this as whatever, a sliding scale where say psychedelics do slide you up more of just like the scale of being more conscious or something. We, Mm -hmm. we seem to be, humans seem to live in the Goldilocks zone of being conscious enough to buy a week's worth of groceries, but not so conscious that we can't make it to the front
0: door without
1: forgetting, you know,
0: what a door is or how to walk. Right. Right. And when we take the psychedelics to make us extra that way, it pushes us all the way into the schizophrenia zone.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's wild. Uh, there was there was a bit about the uh, Göbekli Go- Tepe that I wanted to touch on. Let's do it. Kind of, it's more wet blanket than fun. But he says that when when Gobekli, when Göbekli Tepe was discovered, it upended our views about the agricultural revolution. It was assumed yeah. that Homo economicus would build granaries before temples. Why start with religion? I, I guess I'm not sure what he means. That it was assumed, you know, by him or by the scientific community or by like actual smart people who had actually done work. I guess I wonder when this place was discovered because there, there's a period where we realized, oh yeah, people have been stupid forever, and they you know always have been, and like so like the question the question of like why would they start with you know temples before granaries? It's like because that's how people have always worked. There was never a homo economicus, and so I wonder if the, if this you know temple was discovered and, and upended the views about the agricultural revolution around when economists were still talking about homo economicus and how you know any. Any sane person, if offered five dollars an hour or six dollars in a week, should take the six dollars. The whole econo- like any argument that reduces to homo economicus, has always felt silly and, like for me, like a bit of a blemish on the whole field of economics. I like I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of a good analogy. It, like worse than Freudianism was on psychology because, you know, at least that 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 wasn't like ubiquitous and he's always been kind of a crank. Mm-hmm. I'm tr- but I'm trying to think of like another squishy science that had some grain of or like some kind of for a while core of just stupidity to it that wasn't shaken off until like you know the last few decades but yeah if you had asked me hey would people build you know temples or granaries first i'd be like temples obviously but i'm saying that with the with the hindsight of having been educated in the last you know 30 years so
0: yeah the the idea originally was that um agriculture came first and then all of civilization descended after humans started staying in one place everything before that was just hunter gatherers with maybe some spiritual, mystical, animalistic beliefs, but nothing nothing like a religion. And then uh, they notice that these seeds, you can harvest them from the plant and replant them and so you can just have this steady uh, food source you can count on. So they stay in one area and then they start building structures that are permanent because they're in that one area and then they start developing the rest of civilization around that. So mm. that was the surprise that actually the religious um, temple came before the invention of agriculture.
1: I guess just really quick too, I, I can think about that because yeah. building a temple takes a long time, and you got to have a steady food source to build something for that long. So I guess put that way, I am I am just surprised about you know the logistics of how it would be done without having yeah. harvestable food nearby. But maybe yeah. it's not the big of a temple.
0: <laughs> and and again, what I heard was that it was probably bands of uh, humans that came to this uh, this area. Probably once every year during when the season was right and the herds were near there and they all congregated and had a gotcha. religious ritual and like, you know, over the years would start bringing stones and carving them and making a temple. All right. Uh, I, I did I did Google it just now. Apparently, uh, it, the, the temple was first discovered in the 60s, which like when I saw that, it shocked me because I was like, no way. I remember hearing about this sometime in my lifetime. Uh, and I was born way after the sixties, uh, but then it turns out that they didn't actually start excavating it until ninety five and that is when they started wow. finding out all this other stuff about it so yeah it was it was in the recent past
1: and a lot of the stuff that we take for like settled science and and obvious like wasn't settled science until you know like the eighties you know yeah. what killed the dinosaurs was an open question in nineteen eighty no plate how- tectonics wasn't widely accepted until the late nineteen hundreds. I mean, all, all these very basic things about like the history and, you know, functions of our planet that we just take as this boring stuff that everyone knows because they taught it to us when we were 10 was not known when the people who wrote those books were 10.
0: Right. Um, like our grandparents literally thought the continents were just stable for all of Earth's history.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, it's interesting. As long as I'm wet blanketing, I want to spend a second talking about the, the snake thing because uh, mm. snakes are an important fixtured this. You know, he picks them uh over mushrooms or, or some other psychedelic uh largely because of the the universal symbolism of them. And he mentioned in the post that he he asked ChatGPT about it and it was unconvinced and argued with him briefly about uh you know why why it didn't buy the whole snake thing. But he wrote this in January of twenty twenty three, which is uh before gpt4 came out so i did spend some time today arguing with gpt4 about uh why snakes are everywhere in cultural mythology um mm-hmm. and i won't dive into the whole chat but the, the short version is is that it's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that he covers that he found fa- that he found uncompelling that i find vaguely compelling um mm-hmm. like you know so for him he, the, the 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 thesis of his of his argument is that or, or, or about why snakes are prevalent is because they're the ones that you know deliver uh the consciousness to the people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like there are lots of other things about snakes that I think make them interesting, and why they be all over the place. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, why are they so common on this on this twelve thousand year old temple? And this wasn't one of ChatGPT's ideas; that was mine. It's like because it's super easy to draw a snake, right? All right, <laughs> like <laughs> that's, that's fair. I, just a wavy line, <laughs> right? And so you know, it, it's it, just in terms of the ease of making the art of it. You know, like trees are also super common. I think in this. I should just summarize what I talked about with the Chat GPT. I think it talked about um ubiquity across continents, dual nature of snakes, uh association with the earth, uh potent abilities, um, longevity and immortality and cultural transmission, et cetera. But uh I'm you know, I'm thinking of like things things like trees are also like I think in every religion, right? And that kind that makes mm-hmm. sense, even though trees don't have mushrooms or get you high. Um they some of them do have apples, which apparently let you increase your chances of surviving some snake bites, but uh it's it's just the kind of thing that everybody would be focused on. I think I think that snakes yeah. are super interesting to, you know, our, our dumber ancestors because it is kind of paradoxical to imagine a snake eating its own tail. Like the Ouroboros thing does make your head kind of necessitate this kind of like, I don't know, weird, trippy thought. Um hmm. the fact that snakes move kind of gracefully but without legs they can swim. You see them in trees and on ground, like they're everywhere. Hmm. Uh so I I guess I, I'm trying to think of like, you know, less less fun just for the sake of argument less fun reasons why snakes are so popular in ancient myth Um, yeah but those are fair points but they are all way less fun than the idea that you know (laughs) snakes you know they if they bite you under the right circumstances you you wake up as a person (laughs) (laughs) um so there there was uh one, one thing here is that it's in the post. It says uh, snake cult, the snake cult go, goes further and claims that religion produced agriculture uh, for without initiation, abstract thought and the ability to plan would not have been present. Um, I remember an awesome documentary. That's gotta be 10 or 15 year old, 10 or 15 years old at this point that uh, showed what looked like in my memory of capuchin monkeys drying seeds in the sun for like a day before mm. they smashed them with rocks. Huh. And I remember like the really low angle cameras and like, you know, these monkeys are like, you know, nine inches tall or whatever, oh, and like cute. it's like you know, holding up this big rock and throwing it down against the the nuts. Um, and like, and crows throw nuts in, in crosswalks and stuff, right? So like, they, they mm-hmm. but some animals plan, you know. So like, it's true, but they don't plan for next winter, maybe. Well, no, they totally yeah. do. Squirrels do that, but like that's maybe that doesn't count as planning. Like they don't know what they're doing, right? But it it does. So it's not abstract thought about like you know, and squirrels certainly aren't. um as far as I know, planting trees on purpose so that they might go back 10 years later and harvest the nuts that fall from them.
0: Right. It's Uh, interesting. In one of his follow posts, he specifically talks about squirrels and their hiding of nuts and points out that evolution will make every animal exactly as smart as it needs to be to live, to, to thrive in its environment. And so squirrels are incredibly adept at, um, I guess, hiding nuts and then finding them again after the winter or during the winter. Um, uh more so than like we would be if we were hiding nuts. Uh, but, but uh, also he says like it, it doesn't have any reason to push you any further than that, which is why he thinks there needed to be um, that humans were smart enough to be very good at a lot of social things, but there, there wasn't an extra push to make them even smarter until the psychedelic thing tripped humans into, into that.
1: Yeah. No doubt. There's something special that happened in our ancestral, uh, distant past that made us smart enough to have this conversation you know we're only whatever 15 miles away but we're having this conversation on the internet you know like our mm-hmm. our our reality now is so different from our ancestors and we're way smarter than we need to be to survive right yeah yep. um the snake cult is one possibility you know there's like the um the machiavellian intelligence hypothesis mm-hmm. which which kind of um points in the same direction towards recursive thought right yeah um something had to trigger that and the Machiavellian intelligence hypothesis doesn't explain why we were humans in our in our basic form for the last you know 150,000 years but we're we're scrounging in the dirt like squirrels up until 15,000 years ago yeah yeah so so that that is interesting maybe we had to hit a critical threshold of population before some selective pressure was put on recursive
0: thinking he makes some further supporting arguments in follow-up posts uh to this one of the things that he talks about in in his post the unreasonable was it the unreasonable power of pronouns the unreasonable effectiveness of pronouns was that the pronoun that means i is almost identical across languages and since languages d- diverge somewhat quickly like we know what rate they diverge at if it, if this had happened in the deep past it's extremely unlikely that the words would still be so similar. Uh, And the fact that they seem to have all started at more or less the same time and spread quickly, like in the matter of thousands of years across all the humans on the planet is in support of this idea that there was a f- specific physical thing which we were able to use to interact with our genes to kickstart the consciousness and the development of language uh and he's his postulate is that that thing that spread quickly through the existing human population was the ritual that used the snake venom and the the pronoun in specific he says um Before there is self-consciousness, there is no pronoun that means I, or me, or myself. Uh, That pronoun is na in the very original proto-languages, and sometimes ma, sometimes instead of na, it's ni, sometimes that turns into me, which is where ours is me, but he says the the vast majority of languages have something in the na, ni, me sort of family of sounds that means myself.
1: I want to move to the sections of stuff that only you've read that I haven't, because then I can kind of just respond to it and think about it but all of those are really easy sounds right yes and as as we learned from our uh foyer and for foyer our excursion whatever our attempt at a uh, plane crash um there's a you know an economic value to having short words for common concepts right but you
0: wouldn't have the concept of self before self-consciousness
1: no 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 i'm just saying the fact that they all have some basic sounds to them across languages
0: Oh, okay. He, he does argue that it's highly unlikely they would all be so similar to na if they developed independently. I mean, na and
1: I sound very different, but they, they are, do. they're uh, all, you know, monosyllabic and, uh, easy enough for a baby to, to make the utterance. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, um, I, I'm following you. Yeah. And that, that is a, a compelling point. I, I tried to argue and I didn't do it for, you know, as at this for maybe 15 minutes during the day. Um, I tried to argue ChatGPT into arguing in favor of why this, you know, might, uh, why this thesis might be true. And it didn't really dive. It didn't really give a good, um, case for it. And it certainly didn't give any of these points. Uh, Mm. I was trying to see where I was going with this. Um, you know, cause it talked about, like I said, longevity and immortality, the the shedding of skin, you know? So like that's another thing with snakes is that like the rebirth thing. It's like, look, it, it, you know, like, just like humans, it gets old and decrepit, but then suddenly, whoa, it's, like, brand new, but it's bigger and better, you know? Hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, but all that's, you know, half that stuff is true, like, amongst spiders and lizards. Like, you know, why yeah. snakes in particular? Um, yeah. And it talked about, you know, the direct human impact. Again, th- this is a drug that finds you, but it didn't put it that way. Um, mm mm-hmm. And then it said cultural amplification, which I called it out and said, look, that's a circular argument. You can't say it was popular because it got popular. Um, <laughs> all right, moving on.
0: I think I'm ready since we hit all the major points from this post to start touching on some of the things in the other posts yeah, yeah. Uh, that I found. And I would go I would go pretty quick through them since you didn't read them. Is that okay? Or did you have other things you wanted to talk about on this post?
1: No, no, that was, that was the plan, I think. Um, yeah, you run into this. I, I think, again, my, my main thing was that why don't we need to take drugs now to become sapient and we kind of settled on the lactose tolerance sort of, of analogy, um, which is sufficient for the sake of argument. So,
0: um, yeah, no, uh, let's dive in some of the, uh, the extracurricular reading. Okay. Well, one of the other posts is not even one of his, it's from Scott Alexander's review of the breakdown of the bicameral mind by James, who we mentioned a couple of times earlier. Uh, I, Pulled out a few things there. It seemed to be, this seemed to be uh, pretty influential on uh, Cutler when he was doing his writings. We talked about uh, young kids and how they don't have this uh, earlier. And Scott did say that like, yeah, very young children don't have a theory of mind. They cannot separate themselves from their emotions. It's not natural for them to say, I'm really angry now, but that's just a thing I'm feeling. I don't actually hate you. Mm-hmm. Which, man, I got I to gotta hang around with some kids because I have not been around really young kids for a long time.
1: I mean, this is true of children. I know that uh, I was actually just talking about this last night. But uh, um, Annika Harris, Sam Harris's wife, teaches meditation classes to children as young as five, and mm. getting them to identify their emotions
0: is not something that the average five-year-old can do. That's yeah. so interesting. And so, like, because it feels very much like what Achilles was doing in the Iliad.
1: Yeah, just just rolling with whatever is currently happening to you without any reflection. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, you'll see a kid just be tantrumy just because they're hungry or tired but they don't realize that's why they're upset. They don't even realize they're upset. That's just how they are, you know? Wow, yeah. I would talk to people who are around kids more than I
0: am to uh, expand on that. I should. I know some people who are having kids right now, so perfect. there's a thing. Uh, from that same post, Scott Alexander personally says, I know some very smart and otherwise completely sane evangelical Christians who swear to me that God answers their prayers. They will ask God a question. They will hear God's voice answer it. God's voice may not sound exactly like an external voice, and it may give them only the advice they would have given themselves if they thought about it, but they swear that they are not thinking about it, that their experience is qualitatively different than that.
1: I'm going to chalk that up to Marcus talking to Quintus, right? Okay. I yeah. mean, it, not only is it the most like parsimonious answer, I don't think these people are actually talking to to a god that is talking to them, but it, it seems like the kind of thing that, you know, I can I can ask my shoulder companions, you know, I can ask my mental model of Iñáš what he'll say, and he'll answer in your voice. Um, mm, that's and, really cool. uh, well, I mean, if I wanted to, but like, yeah, it, it's, it's the fact that like, I know that it's not really you, but if I was yeah. brought up in a society to, to be convinced that it really was, I can see why mm-hmm. somebody might think that. Um, but luckily I'm not so deluded.
0: I think that points very much to how easy it is to, to have that way of thinking again from our ancestral past where there was just gods in our brains talking to us. Yeah. He also briefly mentioned uh, IFS, internal family systems. It's a way people think about their own cognition to help with all sorts of things. Often I see it to uh, get over depression, but it, it's thinking about different aspects of yourself as literally different people inside of you, which is also very easy for people to do.
1: I kind of do this, I, I think I have mentioned in the past, but it's not really like me wearing, you know, like wearing a sign that says whatever, upset Steven or something. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it, they don't need to be wearing a sign because I know what that part of my mind is representing. And, mm-hmm. uh, this is a valuable to me mental exercise, but again, I'm not, I'm not, delu- I'm not deluded to thinking that I've, I've actually, you know, broken myself into five different components that now I'm talking to them individually. I know it's mental exercise and I'm cognizant of that fact the whole time. Right. Right. It, it's it's and- the kind of thing that if I was on drugs, I might not be cognizant of that fact though.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, He talks some more about uh, Janes' book and where it seems like he's painting the Bronze Age as very hive-mindy. And uh, Julian Janes argues that this is because its inhabitants weren't quite individuals. All that stuff they did, the ziggurats, the obelisks, the pyramids, were an attempt to capture not individual humans, but those humans' demons. To get the people to identify the voice that is in their head with the local deity and replace their free will with the hallucinatory god, who represented their mental model of society's demands on them. Um, and the says, ideally, the, that they would think it was the literal voice of the actual pharaoh because the pharaoh was a god king. Uh, and that kept all of society together and working in one place. Scott Alexander specifically has um, doubts about how literally true this is, but sounded fun, so I pulled it out.
1: No, it is it is fun. I share Scott Alexander's and Andrew Cutler's skepticism there because that's so recent. That, yeah I can't think we've transformed that much in the last three thousand years, but you know it's entirely plausible that humans now are way more socially inclined than we were just a century ago, just from growing up having smartphones Ooh, like
0: that's a good point. you're
1: you're aware of not just your neighbors, not just your 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 local community or whatever, but the the sapient mind of you know what the internet will think of this, right yeah um maybe maybe that maybe that has fundamentally transformed how people think
0: maybe that's a very good argument for not letting certain gods into your head through your phone i completely agree (laughs) vet these gods first and be like actually this god seems like it makes your life pretty terrible i'm not going to indulge that god and give him access to my brain
1: yeah i i know that if i had kids i i wouldn't you know who knows where we'd be by the time they'd be of age to use social media but I wouldn't, if I, if I had a 10 year old now, they would not have an Instagram account. Um, you know, and I know that that would put them behind their peers, but I'd be like, look, it's true. You can't talk to your friends on, on, on Instagram, but you're going to, you're going to be happier than they are. And I'm, I'm okay with the, with the unhappiness that comes with that.
0: Uh, (laughs) Your, your peers are being partially swallowed by this mimetic God. And I am saving you from that. And, uh, I know it sucks. You can't be part of that God like your friends are, but you're going to be happy later on. Yeah. James also mentions that uh, there's just tons of idols when you do archaeology. Idols absolutely everywhere. And posits that this was because idols were either accused to uh, create the hallucinatory voices, to, you know, um, prompt them, or uh, just to make the conversation more comfortable because uh, then you actually got a person that you can see, this idol that you're talking to, rather than just talking to the air. I think the concept of idols is really interesting because so many humans treated them as like real God things um, when, you know, they literally carved them themselves earlier in the year. Like it, it's, it's hard to imagine being tricked by something that you know, you made, uh, but less hard to imagine that if you think that the gods are telling you to carve this thing so that they can have a corporeal form that you can talk to.
1: It's, it's uh revealing or interesting, or maybe just a coincidence that the first two commandments are specifically about shutting down that kind of behavior mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know above no more above you. don't lie above don't kill is no other gods before me and no idolatry yeah um that the most important thing to 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 well i guess the second most important thing to, to god apparently was no idolatry um yeah i don't want to spiral on every one of these because we've got a few more to go through so we do
0: yes okay All right. uh one of the things brought up in a one of the posts is that hypothetically, if consciousness was a thing that humans can unlock, but it needs to be somehow unlocked in other people, if consciousness could be shared, then probably you'd imagine it most likely be done through a ritual, because that's, you know, especially if you have to experience something to understand it, then it would probably be some kind of ritual to do it, right?
1: not necessarily intuitively when i think about it posed that way like if it was as easy as splashing like throwing a bunch of water on people or something mm-hmm. you could you could leave the ritual out of it you know it's true um but kind of like snapping the barbies out of their uh um <laughs> patriarchal uh brainwashing you know the uh america ferreras um lecturing was something of a ritual to them right mm-hmm. but if she could have just gotten on a loudspeaker and done the whole community at once she could have cut out the whole ritual
0: it was. It was definitely had some ritual feel to it because, yeah, they took them into a special area and they. It, it was. It was kind of ritually and cool. Yeah, there's
1: there a reason I think they did it that way. Rather than there's no reason Barbie Land couldn't have had a loudspeaker. The president might want to make announcements, right? Mm-hmm, in fact, mm-hmm. they have TV. Yeah, they could have just mm-hmm. broadcast this, right? But they didn't. They did it in the ritually way, probably on purpose. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Uh, I'm gonna jump to this uh, thing near the bottom about how early on we didn't have a lot of the consciousness genes, and so consciousness was sporadic. He says, I think it would have been mostly experienced by women, and they would have obtained it at a base state, uh, like meaning no longer needing a psychedelic ritual before men do. Uh, He has a number of reasons, but he says one of them is just evolutionary psychology, which Wes is going to hate (laughs) for (laughs) bringing that that up. (laughs) But he says, at least during pregnancy and while caring for young children, women are more dependent on the tribe. Therefore, the female niche is one of greater social adeptness and modeling of what other people want and think of her. Uh, Then he talks about the general factor of personality, uh, which is one of the things people test for in personality tests. He says this is related to gender. One name for the general factor of personality is social or emotional intelligence on which women have an advantage. In fact. It is so well known that women have an advantage in this that it is considered a validation of emotional quotient surveys, EQ surveys, if women score better than men. If they if they have the same scores as men, then there's obviously something wrong with your test because it's failing to show that women are better at this inherently than men are, like right now in the modern day.
1: Yeah. On its face, my one sentence reply is that that could also just suggest that it's a bad test. You know, you sub out women with any other group and suddenly that sounds
0: like a very shitty test. I mean, not if it, women actually literally do have an s- advantage.
1: Oh, I know, but saying that it's considered a validation of the of the of the EQ survey if women score better than men. Like it is considered a validation of the IQ survey if uh, if white people score score higher than other people. Uh, you know, if someone said that, oh it would yeah, be I see what outlandish. you're saying, yeah. Um, I, so it, yeah. that w- that would just mean that that is a shit test, uh, but. You know, I'm not a an expert on GFP or uh, the emotional quotient surveys, so I'll leave that to the psychologists and to
0: uh, our audience for further reading. So he also points out that there's literal structural differences. The precuneus is the functional core of the default mode network. Uh, default mode and network are in caps, so I guess that is a technical term of something in the brain, which is a thing that is it, it is a structure implicated in self-awareness. The prekenius is one of the regions most functionally and anatomically different between the sexes.
1: That's interesting. I'll take that at face value because I don't know what most of those words are. Yes, but you know, but uh, just just taking that at face value, that that is uh, suggestive of that evidence in favor of the point you just made.
0: Yeah. Uh, talks a little bit more about uh, sex sex differences in how the hemispheres connect with each other versus between each other. He has the point of genetics where the X chromosome is enriched for genes that are expressed in the brain and has a couple reference links that we can click. And women have two times as many X chromosomes as men do. That is literally part of the definition of being a woman. Uh, And so therefore more likely to have more of those enriched genes that, uh, that give them that little advantage. It's not lost on me,
1: and it never was, that there is more genetic information in the second X chromosome than there is in a the because there's more of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting to think that it might have, um, I don't know, more impact beyond whatever phenotypic expression. Um,
0: mm-hmm. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he talks about mythology, where myths that we have have women gaining knowledge first and then either gifting it to men or men stealing it from them and that a lot of uh, ancient traditions have like a originally there was a matriarchy and we have moved on from that for some reason uh and he also talks about archaeology where the oldest tally stick in existence has 29 notches which some people argue is to keep track of menstrual cycles uh cave artists use, often use their hands as a stencil and finger ratios indicate that artists were more often women uh so some some archaeological things as well hmm. but just a, a a number of various things that he pulls together which he says it's it, it seems likely that women had this first and that it slowly uh moved to males uh, over several thousand years this is one of those things that he says if this can be shown to be true uh would be more validating of the snake cult idea
1: it it's certainly thought-provoking and did most of that stuff come from the follow-up post, uh, what was it, the Eve of Consciousness? Uh, yes, it was called,
0: yes, Eve Theory of Consciousness Version 2. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely check that out. Ooh, 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 wait, one last final thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a Y chromosome bottleneck in the uh, recent past around the time where he postulates that there would have been transfer of this consciousness from women to men. And uh, it oh. just starts just before an obvious change in global culture and then spreads across the culture, then spreads across the world. And uh, there was not a similar bottleneck on X chromosome stuff. And he says, I bet this is men catching up on recursion and the ones that were most able to adapt and to gain the self-consciousness uh, greatly out reproduced the ones that were not able to do that.
1: That's really cool. I, I definitely need to read this post because there's the concept of the, the mitochondrial Eve. Um, mm-hmm. Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, uh, as well. I remember from <laughs> Bill Nye the Science Guy's intro, but um, it actually carries the XX chromosome uh, from the from the maternal line in all humans, um, and so there there is a, a most recent common ancestor of the mitochondria that's way younger than the most recent common ancestor of all of all humans, mm-hmm. and this doesn't seem like it would necessarily align with the uh, the Y chromosome bottleneck. But uh, it's another, and of course, you know, this This is just one part of, you know, how cells work. It's not, as far as I know, doesn't have a big impact beyond mitochondria. But this, this reminds me of like the kind of things I used to be excited about in biology. So I'll definitely
0: need to check this out. That is everything I have. Uh, again, people should read the actual post, uh, the snake cult theory of consciousness. It is very well written. It is fascinating. It lays this out better than I can in my brain dump uh, here to you, Stephen. Uh, and also, I think the uh, EVE Theory of Consciousness version 2 is also fascinating and ties in with it. If you are so inclined, you can read all the follow-up links in within his thing that develop some of these points. But at the very least, reading that first post is just greatly fascinating. And again, he says, you know what? These are things we can look into. Here's some things that might validate it or disvalidate it uh, in the future. But could have happened? Seems Seems like there's some evidence that this is a possibility.
1: Yeah. And, you know, again, maybe it was because I was just feeling curmudgeonly that day. But, um, if anyone was turned off by like the, how seriously the, the post seems to be taking itself, I wish you'd put this at the top, something like epistemic status. Wouldn't this be cool? Um, yeah, because he kind of says that at the bottom. Uh, yeah. So if you're turned off by like, man, this guy is taking this ridiculous thought way too far. He's not doing that without self-awareness. He's having fun with this and running with how far, how far you can take it whilst not losing sight of the, you know, pillars, or the, the, the directions of evidence, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I did, like I said, I clicked a lot of links in the post just to see if it's cherry picking. Uh, but any, you not know, that doesn't mean he's not, you know, he could find the one paper that agreed with his thing or something, but uh, he doesn't seem to be, you know, why, why make this up just to cherry pick? It, it's, this is a not impossible history of how consciousness came about in humans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So definitely a fun thing to think, to, to think about.
0: Yeah. I loved it so much that I had to share it. I'm glad. I appreciate it. Cool. All right. Well, should we talk about uh, a different cult that we partner with?
1: Yeah. we got to give a shout out to the Guild of the Rose. Good call. Good uh, who Good are, segue. Who,
0: they, who are not actually a cult at all.
1: No. If they were, they'd be uh, way cooler than the, well, they are, in, they are like the cult of the snake and that they elevate you to a level of, of, of being that is, uh, this sounds way too culty, but I'm gonna lean into it. Um, that is beyond just your, your typical existence. You know, if you want to be, you know, stronger, faster, more powerful, but with your brain, this is the place to do it. Uh, yes. The, the Guild of the Rose is a uh, um, an online school, community. Both. Yeah, both. They work on refining rationality techniques with actual coursework and uh, practices rather than just chatting about it like we do. Uh, yeah. Not, not putting us down. We're just doing different things. But we're doing similar enough right. things that we partner with them,
0: like you said. We really love what they're doing. I mean, honestly, their their biggest downside right now is that they do not have any cool rituals involving psychedelics that we can participate in. If they do,
1: they might they might be they might be only secret for the advanced users or the, the advanced. Oh uh, shit! Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. Oh, that's a good point. The only way you could possibly find out if there's a secret ritual involving those things is if you join for long enough to be invited into the inner circle. Exactly. Maybe they'll invite you to the top of the mountain to to drop acid. Um, yeah, and we're certainly not saying that that actually happens, but you wouldn't ever find out if you didn't sign up. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And you can take their courses for free and uh, only have to uh, sign up to pay to join the community and get the more extended helping each other be better at rationalism uh, in, in in social settings. In, yeah. And practical. You know, working ra- with each other.
1: Yeah. Practical rationalism too, like public speaking. Yes. Time management, applied decision theory, um, Malachian
0: systems. What to do when you're bitten by snakes. Right. Yeah. Important stuff. Go to org or follow the link in our show notes. One of these days, we'll write up a,
1: a proper just script to read every time. That sounds like a, a commercial we were handed. Um, yeah, but then we
0: couldn't integrate it with what we were just talking about. That's true. We got a riff on it. Yeah.
1: All right. Integrating to with what we're talking about. We got a couple short list posts. So uh, they yeah. shouldn't take too much time to cover because they're kind of, luckily, I think he's actually at a conference where he's writing these. So he didn't spend all that much time on them either, but they were combined like 10 minutes of reading. So they should be a combined yes. 10 minutes of talking about. So the first post we're talking about is uh, words as mental paintbrushes. And he says, suppose I tell you that uh, it's the strangest thing. The lamps in this hotel have triangular light bulbs. He says, you may or may not have visualized it. If you haven't done so yet, do so now. What in your mind's eye does a triangular light bulb look like?
0: Very much like sort of a glass pyramid thing with uh, rounded edges and little filaments inside. And you can screw it in like a regular light bulb. Rounded edges, not, not, not corners. I mean, like the corners are, they're more like the beveled corners you would get on tiles, you know, but not like sharp angles. Okay.
1: I mean, because to me, you know, the tip could look like a Christmas light, you know, where it's kind of pointy, you know? Mm. But yeah, it's not going to be stab yourself sharp pointy. Well, he moves on to talk about, he says, believe it or not, for some decades, there was serious debate about whether people really had mental images in their minds, an actual picture of a chair somewhere, or if people just naively thought they had mental images, you know, having been been misled by introspection, which is, uh, you know, very bad forbidden activity. Because it's not mm. scientific. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think he mentions this. He wrote this in 2008. And this might have been before the phenomena of aphantasia was widely known. I think it is. Yes. Yeah. Some people just don't have mental imagery. And yeah. this, this number, some are some are maybe up to 10% of people. I, I strongly suspect that some of the like founding behaviorists may have been aphantasic. and. So that
0: would make a lot of sense.
1: So, you know, maybe it was, you know, I don't know which, which it might have been that was the most influential or or argued most steadfastly against the idea of of mental imagery. But part of the reason part of the focus on behaviorism in general was just because, well, we can't scientifically ask people what's going on in their heads, we have to look at what they do. Um, Yeah, because that's the only real science. And uh, Mm psychology has moved on past that. But I think that that hang up may well have been caused by some of the the founders of that field, not having mental imagery. Yeah. And so when they hear the people talking about it, they're like, you guys are being unscientific and ridiculous. This is all metaphor. Fuck you guys.
0: Right. Like, like people who hear voices. It's all just a metaphor, right? Right. He says that there's a deranged legacy of behaviorism, which denied the existence of thoughts in humans and sought to explain all human phenomena as reflex, including speech. Which I thought it was kind of appropriate that this less wrong episode is with uh, this less wrong post is with this episode where we talked about the early pre-conscious humans that are more in a flow state. And a lot more things are (laughs) vibes and reflexes and instincts rather than having thoughts.
1: Maybe it's because we tend to have our posts on, you know, rationality adjacent subjects or whatever, but uh, or our our episodes rather. Um, Mm -hmm. But the the less wrong posts seem to align with our subject a surprising amount of time.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it's never planned.
1: No. I mean, it can't. We're reading these in order, you know? Right. Um, I I remember reading about that because I, once upon a time, had a psych, or I guess I still have a psych degree, but I, once upon a time, was a psych <laughs> student. And, uh, you know, the idea that they denied the existence of all thoughts on humans, I think, I mean, I, I can't remember when this was taught to me or who said it, or, you know, the context of any of it, but I, I believe my thought at the time was that there's no way anyone actually thought that. I think they just missed that as unscientific and therefore not part of the field. But mm. that might have just been my takeaway. Maybe there were actually people actually arguing that. Yeah. If they were, I have no idea where they thought those thoughts were coming from, mm. right? I mean, was the, was the person making that argument a philosophical zombie? <laughs> it's almost what it sounds like, right? Yeah. It's like, what would lead, lead them to think that other
0: people, you know, or what would lead them to have that thought if they're, yeah. they're going to deny the existence of thoughts? Well, the world can only wonder. <laughs> You know, speaking of aphantasia, one of the things that kind of annoys me about it is oftentimes people are told to, like, picture an apple. You can't do it. You may have may have aphantasia, which I hate because when do you ever imagine an apple? Like, never. I sometimes have a hard time picturing an apple even though I can do an entire movies in my head, you know? So I, I think it would be easier to ask someone, like, picture the face of the person you most love because they see that a lot. Or, like, in my case, I often run around thinking just, like, picturing if i had a lightsaber and i could slice through this thing like i can (laughs) literally see that very easily on demand basically and uh things like that are when you try to do something that's like fun and and just visually memorable that's it's like i could totally picture what it would look like for someone to kick in my door right now or to have it like blown open with dumbledore magic it's super easy and i think those are much easier to imagine than like picture an apple i'm like i don't i don't know what an apple looks like when's the last time you saw an apple I mean, it's probably been
1: at least a few days, but I did think of Apple several times just during this reading, not just this last, last wrong post, but during the, the essay. Um, oh, yeah, good. Because <laughs> it's mentioned so many times, but it, it's funny, it's, you know, speaking of everything being a spectrum, I think the, uh, I can't remember the word for it. There's, there's a condition by which people can't recognize, human, can't recognize people's faces. Um, mm, yeah. Uh, what is it called? It's not going to come to me. Anyway, uh, I think I have that to some extent. Because mm-hmm. I'm really, really, really bad at picking up people, even people I know. Um, and uh, it it makes, I think, watching TV shows and movies, movies with me kind of annoying if I'm asking, is that the same person from the oh. last scene because they changed shirts or something. Uh, right. What was interesting is in this post, he talks about how one way to test if people can can imagine stuff like in their minds is having them imagine a shape and then ask them to rotate it. Does it become this shape? And mm-hmm. I've done that a ton because I've been doing twin studies stuff since I was uh, a baby, and that's one of the mm-hmm. common exercises is those sort of uh, spatial manipulation cognitive tasks, I guess. And what I didn't know until I reread this post is that the time it takes to answer whether or not this shape can be that shape actually correlates with how much rotation you have to do to make it line up. And you found that to be true. I mean, I think it must be. I'd have to, I'd have to think. Of, I'd have to look at some examples. You can find these online super easily, but. Um, and I haven't timed myself, but no, definitely some you just look at like, oh yeah, turn that you know a little bit clockwise, and that's it, right? Other ones you're like, okay, got to rotate. Yeah, the, the longer ones are the ones that are more rotated, hmm. you know. Um, yeah, and so especially if you're like you're allowed to flip the shape or something. So yeah, uh, yeah, the more work I have to do with the shape, the longer it takes, which is evidence of the fact that I am actually picturing the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it just, is that necessarily evidence of that, or could I just be looking at the two shapes and? you know not actually picturing either of them moving just trying to smash them together and see if they fit and that takes more time if they're less aligned i don't know i haven't taken one of those tests and i don't even know how long i guess i'm just, I'm not sure if it's evidence in favor of visual imagery or not but it is interesting and it is fun yeah. that the the time it takes to uh give an answer uh correlates to how long it, or how far ro- rotated
0: away it is from the, the original shape
1: any other things to hit on this point
0: yeah, he says that words, uh, or rather the concept behind the words, are paintbrushes. You can use them to draw images in your own mind. Uh, he said, um, think of a green dog as one of them, I think. Uh, literally draw if you employ concepts to make a picture in your visual concept, in cortex. And by the use of shared labels, you can reach into someone else's mind and grasp their paintbrushes to draw pictures in their minds. Sketch a little green dog in their visual cortex. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it did. <laughs> Uh, but then goes on to say, I, I, but don't think that it's the symbols or the letters that draw pictures in the visual cortex. Apple is merely the tag attached to the true and wordless Apple concept, which uh, that's what paints the picture in your visual co- uh, cortex. Uh, the labels are just pointers. And he ends with, "What does a word point to?" Uh, and I'm assuming that that will be answered in a upcoming post because you you don't end a Essay with a question unless you intend to answer it in the further essay, right? I mean, well, the, the answer is, I don't think it needs to follow up. To,
1: like, you know, what does the word point to? It points to my concept of the thing, right?
0: Uh, oh, it points to everything we've been talking about. The Bayesian cluster space in our head of things that look like that.
1: Exactly. So like, and this is part of the fun thing of just communicating is like, just just for the sake of getting into it a smidge, what is, what did your green dog look like?
0: <laughs> uh, he looked... Kind of like um, a terrier, uh, except very green, like um, not a moss green, sort of a, a darker green, and sort of almost wet for some reason. I'm not sure why. Maybe because maybe because Shrek always kind of looks sort of wet. Um, <laughs> that could be it. So, what did your me, green
1: dog look like? It looked like a Clifford the Big Red Dog, but small and green. Oh, and so it. What's fun is that you know this is just part of the difficulty of communicating and thinking that we have you know we both pictured green dogs but we pictured very different things Mm -hmm. you pictured like an actual dog kind
0: of dyed green um yeah and i pictured the cartoon that's why he was maybe that's why he was wet because someone had just dropped green dye on him right (laughs) so yeah it's uh
1: it's it's interesting fact about just so what does the thing point to it points to our our clusters of things in concept space that overlap you know we, we both picture things that if we you know explain to explain them to each other as we did we both know what we're talking about and mm-hmm. so we see how they're similar or different from each other but we did not both picture the same thing right yeah so the labels the labels are pointers to different points in memory and and that's you know computer science jargon but the, but the idea that like uh well you did you took c and you, you wrote c uh programming in high school you remember pointers um i do so it's it's like they, they did not point to the same thing in our minds right uh yeah they pointed in the same direction yeah but but we're not communicating at that level we're communicating with paintbrushes and concepts we're not we're not communicating full telepathic messages mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
0: all right then on to uh variable question fallacies yeah this one was super short and i think probably just setting up something that's coming up next i think you're right
1: uh re- it opens up again with the tree falling in the forest
0: yes and uh, he says, like, when he have, whenever he gets bored of the conversation, he always thinks to himself, either it makes a sound or it doesn't, dang it.
1: I liked that. He's like, sometimes when I'm writing, because he wrote, this must be like the 30th time he's written that example, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, sometimes I get to the point where like I can no longer identify with those two characters. Like, how can anyone have an argument this stupid? And then I <laughs> I, 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 I reaffirm to myself, look, either it makes a sound or it doesn't. And that kind of gets him back in that, that headspace again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just kind of fun to think about that he can trick himself into feeling like Albert and uh,
0: whatever the other um, Barry in those arguments. Like There's actually a reason to fight here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so the first major thing he says with this post is to even begin claiming that P or not P ought to be a necessary truth. The symbol P must stand for exactly the same thing in both halves of the dilemma.
1: Right. If
0: If we're using the word sound differently, then we're not arguing about the same thing. Exactly. And in that case, you could possibly have both P and not P if you just switch out the definition of sound right in the middle there. Right. Yeah, which is a favorite trick of all sorts of rhetoricians.
1: Or a very common pitfall of, of well-meaning uh, thinkers, you know? That too. Yeah. Like, honestly, I feel like everything Dan Dennett says about free will is
0: is this exact trap. Ah. See, this is why Dan Dennett should have gone to the Guild of the Rose, so they could help him be more rational. I really wonder
1: like the thing is he's, he's aware of all this stuff by now and i wonder if he's just because he's you know written five books on free will if he's not willing to change his mind because of that or if he has some insight that i can't grasp or if it's really just he's just dug in and and unmovable on this you know
0: yes uh and then the other thing in the post is uh going off of that uh that that Thing that you can swap definitions if a namespace collision introduces two different concepts that look like the same concept because they have the same name or a map compression introduces two different events that look like the same event because they don't have separate mental files if you have a question with a hidden variable that evaluates to different expressions in different contexts it feels like reality itself is unstable
1: and all, and this this is a great paragraph in, in a lot of these posts you know tor- especially towards the end of sequences where it, it Many of them are links, you know, namespace collision talks about, uh, taboo, your words, map compression, the fallacies of compression and, uh, reality becoming changeable, uh, goes on to link to what the algorithm feels like from the inside, you know, your Mm -hmm. mind's eye sees the map, not the territory directly. Yeah. And, uh, it's a profound, again, it's one of those things that like now seems intuitive, but that makes it no less profound. It's just less, um, reality shattering for me than it used to be, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah. so I love it. I think it's great.
0: Right. You can feel like reality is unstable, but but it isn't really.
1: Yeah. Like I, I, I listened today. I was shoveling snow for fun because all the necessary part of it I did yesterday. And uh, I was listening to, um, there's a podcast called uh, Brain in a Vat and they do philosophical thought experiments and stuff. Last episode I didn't finish because honestly, this kind of stuff gets boring for me, but they're talking about like the, the, uh, the reality of moral truths. Hmm. And... This guy on this one was more fun because they got to argue with him, like, you know, tried to make somebody who said there's no moral truth, tried to get him to say why it's wrong to, you know, eat babies. So I did listen to that one. But the whole thing is is like every time I listen to all these half of philosophy is just arguing about definitions. Yeah. And and they don't actually disagree about anything. Do I do I think that whatever eating babies is wrong the same way that that I think two plus two equals four? No, not not really. Right. I think two plus two equals four is a more solid fact than eating babies is wrong but given a couple of, of widely acceptable or widely accepted and very, very easily, uh, conveyable premises, eating babies is wrong becomes true. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so like, all, they just need to, they just need to, if they, I think if, if they taught taboo your words in like intro to philosophy, then <laughs> nobody would graduate philosophy.
0: Right. <laughs> cause there wouldn't be much philosophy left.
1: Right. And I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on the field cause I love the practice and the, uh, the the celebration of of thinking you know but a lot of it is just like man you guys are talking yourselves in circles where this is does not have to be a circle actually <laughs> yeah. but you know there, i feel like there's at least 37 ways that that they that words can be wrong here uh which oh how lucky for me that's the next long less wrong post oh
0: um, i'll be gosh darned that's that what feels a coincidence, like coincidence that you put yeah, yeah, you chose that exact number. Yeah,
1: so next next time we've got 37 ways that words can be wrong and uh, dissolving the question. Excellent. Those looking are both great. To those. 37 ways words can be wrong is the whole summary, I think, of this of this sequence. And then dissolving the question is uh, one that I remember being profound at the time as well, and I'm sure I'll enjoy again. So. Yeah, dissolving the question was premium. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. I look forward to talking to you again in a couple weeks. Hell yeah. All right. Thanks for well, listening. And uh, oh, I guess before we leave, last couple uh, things to mention um we are on uh patreon if you guys have any spare cash and feel like what you're doing what we're doing here is valuable you can uh throw some of that cash our way uh we really appreciate it there are still such things i guess as you know reviews and stuff on whatever wherever you find podcasts if you want to give five stars that'd be cool i guess that helps people find stuff but also share this with people if you think that might be interesting um you know find one of the good ones i'll be the first to admit they're not all winners so uh (laughs) If you thought this was cool, and you know people like listening to stuff rather than reading it, and you, you think that the snake cult of consciousness was really
0: interesting, maybe they like this conversation. So, if you know someone in your life who's really into snake cults or possibly psychedelics or consciousness, maybe this would be of interest.
1: Or if you want to start a snake cult, let us know.
0: Oh, dude! It, if it, you want to start a snake cult, let me know specifically. I might want to join it.
1: Yeah, let us know actually where you can find us on Discord. So uh, there's Discord link in the, in the show notes. So, did I leave anything out?
0: Uh, we do have a number of patrons and sometimes we thank one of them directly. Oh, I'm ashamed. I I almost (laughs) forgot.
1: Yeah, no, it's very important. This is important. Uh, Joseph Stronger is this week's or this episode's hero for, uh, I hope you liked this episode, Joseph. Uh, strong name, by the way. That used to be my middle name. Joseph? Yep. What do you mean it used to be your middle name? I changed my middle name to my wife's surname when we got married. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. uh it's it seemed I, I never liked the idea of anyone changing their names for marriage but since she wanted to i figured it you know it's only fair that i change mine mm-hmm. too so legally i've changed my middle name uh excellent but yeah joseph you have made us stronger that's that's a pun on his name <laughs> which
0: as you admitted during the last mind killer episode puns are great uh, nope <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not staying there anymore i can go back to the truth uh, All right now that i'm sharing my own opinions definitely the opposite of great Joseph, thank you so much for the for your support. That is uh, uh, something
1: Inyash and I can, can agree on, even if we can't agree on the use of your last name as a great pun. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, huge shout out means a lot. And uh, anything we could do for you and anyone else, uh, let us know. We're we're happy to support you however we can.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that. Great. Well, now. All right. And with that. that I,
1: yes, I feel like I'm not forgetting anything at this point.
0: I believe we've hit every single thing. Awesome! All right. Well, thanks. I'll see you guys.
1: Uh, well, here for whatever. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody.